Welcome to Foul Players Radio, your podcast for arts, entertainment, and pop culture. My name is Michael Spedden, your host. Every episode features interesting people with fun, fascinating stories about their journeys in the performing arts. Authors, actors, dancers, writers, musicians, athletes, comics, you name it. Folks who are center stage, backstage, on camera, or behind the scenes. Sit back and listen. Let's have some fun. Foul Players Radio is a production of the Foul Players Group and a proud member of the SJ Network. And welcome again to the Rising from the Ashes edition of Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden. Today, Bud Becker returns again to share with us more memories of the road, working with Alice Cooper this time. We will play his CD, Memories of the Road, Alice Cooper, Billion Dollar Babies Tour, 1973, in its entirety. Uh, but Bud will also discuss, prior to that, his working relationship with Alice Cooper, which goes back to the late 1960s. Bud's always got great stories, and I really think you'll enjoy these if you're an Alice Cooper fan. Subscribe for free at www.foulplayersradio.com or listen wherever you find podcasts online. No matter what platform you listen on, you can help us greatly by giving us a fair review and a five-star rating. Also, be sure to visit our page on patreon.com, www.patreon.com slash foulplayersradio. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Foul Players of Perryville are back and have many shows booked for the fall and winter of 2021 into 2022. See our schedule on www.foulplayersofperryville.com. For bookings, we can be reached by phone at 443-600-0446 or by email at foulplayersperryville at yahoo.com. Our interview with Bud Becker will start momentarily. So, so Bud, welcome back to Foul Players Radio. I'm glad that you've been, uh, you know, agreeable to come back again and tell us some more of your great stories from over the years. Uh, today, uh, you were going to talk about Alice Cooper. Uh, you had, you have a CD out that talks about his 1973 tour and some stories from that tour. But you know, you, your relationship with Alice started a long time before that. I think in '69, maybe was that correct? Correct. Uh, with the band, the original band, in 1969, uh, my partner, Barry Richards, mm-hmm. who was uh, on WHMC, music and program director both, and um, he found Alice, and actually, when you go uh, into the movie, I think it was the movie Mitch, which is about Shep Gordon, the um, manager of Alice Cooper and uh, founder of Alive. And uh, you'll see a scene in there where they're in a car driving down the road and there's a radio AM in the car and all of a sudden, Barry Richards comes on the radio announcing super duper Alice Cooper on 18. <laughs> That's the way he went. And uh, he got obviously a gold record for it. Mm-hmm. And in the interim, <clears throat> we, Barry and I had BB and B limited and was promoting concerts. Mm-hmm. The first one we did with Alice was 
at the um, Alexandria Rock Theater. Okay. And uh, there's a photo which you'll have. I'm backstage with the entire band and Eddie Kalika, who was the Warner Brothers Records representative, fabulous guy. And we're all backstage between shows at the Alexandria Rock Theater with mm-hmm. Alice Cooper. And that's where that photo was taken in 69. And then um, we sold out both of those shows. And the next time we brought Alice in, uh, it was the Alexandria Roller Rink. Okay. And uh, we did shows at the Roller Rink with Alice uh, consistently over, I guess, the next year or so. And um, it it was always sold out. And uh, there's a few interesting things about this particular point in uh, the career of uh, Alice Cooper Vincent Fournier, actually. Um, We started out with the Rock Theater, moved over to the Alexander Roller Rink, and we were doing two shows. And this was uh, Love It to Death, the album Love It to Death, which was I'm 18, was from. Mm -hmm. And then the second album was Killer. Now, in the first album, uh, Alice was the the electric chair. Mm-hmm. We had that. That was a big part of the uh, sequence. Mm-hmm. In the second one, uh, Killer was the guillotine. Right. Not the guillotine. Well, that was the third one. This was the... Um, I, I can't think of what I want to say. It was the, uh, oh, the hangman. That's right, yeah. Because uh, the the Red Album Killer was a hangman's noose. And right, yeah. So Alice was always getting something beat up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had the electric chair, which they have revived in some of the later shows. Mm-hmm. And then... The big thing was uh, the hangman, the noose, and uh, the drop floor. Now, what that was is, if you see video of it, I'll tell you how it worked. And then it's key to some of the later discussion I hope we can have. Um, In there, Alice is dragged around. When, at a given point. And then they strap him in to a leather harness. Mm-hmm. And then they drag him onto the uh, hangman's uh, platform. And what they're doing with the roadies and stuff who are working, they're like drones in these capes. Uh, they are hooking Alice into the leather, and then 
on the hangman's noose on the gallows, there's a strap that goes down from the noose and it's supposed to be secured onto the the leather brace. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can picture that, the leather brace is shorter than the hangman's noose. So what will happen is when Alice goes up on to the people in front, it looks like he is on, on a noose. And then all of a sudden, the floor drops out from under him and he's jerked and he hangs. Hmm. But obviously, because of the leather harness, it's a shorter drop. Sure, sure. So, so what you see in the audience is it looks like Alice is going through the uh, hangman's noose, dies because he's being jerked back up. Mm-hmm. But the jerking is the leather uh, that is connected to this harness that they've put Alice in. Mm, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, later on, somewhere along the line, somebody did not hook that up properly. Oh, no. And we, yeah, we almost lost <laughs> Alice Cooper. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Was that, so, at one of, was that at one of your shows? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> now, and that's a great question because it could be um, just rumor, you know. You're right. Um, right. Sure, sure. But because uh, I don't remember really asking Alice personally about it, mm-hmm. but I know I was at enough backstages and shows, and there was a always a discussion about mm-hmm. the um the hangman noose and alice almost kill himself sure now later on they added the guillotine and the guillotine is the same thing uh it was dangerous mm-hmm. because what would happen is they would drag alice across the stage and put him in this guillotine and then you know they would act and they would drop the uh ra- the knife that razor whatever you want to call it yeah and as you look at the guillotine as the blade drops down about maybe 5 or 6 inches above Alice there are protrusions, pins coming out of the guillotine. Mm-hmm. When the knife passes those points, those points release Alice and he drops into the basket mm-hmm. and the knife ends up above him. Right, sure, sure. But there's... I mean, it was, I was at those shows, and to me, it was always very scary. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And then, if, you know, you've seen the end of it. Uh, there is a, like, paper mache head of Alice that uh, <laughs> yeah. they pull out of the basket. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that was in the basket, and Alice is, you know, uh, in the basket also. Mm -hmm. And then they, you know, you they see that wheel it off stage. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> extremely dangerous. Oh, uh, I bet. You really got to have. The, it, actually, the least dangerous thing that I could think of is the electric chair. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that was pretty much staging. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the other things that Alice added in, they were highly dangerous and um, could have, uh, if they had gone the wrong way, could have killed it right in front of the audience. Yeah, wow. And, I mean, I could just picture... Um... Jeez, I bet he was just really making sure his road crew was on the money when it came to setting those things up. And I'm sure they had that rehearsed time and time again because oh yeah, that would be the yeah, last thing in the world that you could just, <laughs> God, just imagine it, that it happening. It was scary. Now, that leads me to... Um, did you have any questions or I could go on? Well, let, let me ask you this here. When you're setting up a show like that, when you're setting up a show like that, I'm sure that there is liability when it comes to, uh, I mean, people will sue you over anything nowadays. I mean, I'm sure when you were putting these together back in those days, it was a different time. But, I mean, if something would have gone wrong, um, I'm sure that you probably had him and his road crew assume all liability for that, correct? You know what? I don't remember, but I, I would assume so because yeah, yeah. I know we had insurance on shows. Mm -hmm. um, your question's great because if something had gone south, mm -hmm. where does the liability lie? Right. I mean, you have to look at White Snake and that nightclub <clears throat> that went up in in uh, Rhode Island. Oh, what a uh, great white, great white, yeah, yeah. Great white design, yeah. but a, a great white. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, but where the liability does the liability mm -hmm. with the club because everything was not fireproof? Mm -hmm. Does the liability with the road crew because they overpacked the uh, pyrotechnics? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it. Yeah, fortunately. With Alice, through the years that I was involved with him uh, on the road and then later as a guest, mm -hmm. um, thank God everything went well. But that liability, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But here's the point is we did the tour I remember, I did uh, quite a few Alice Cooper dates and tours, um, but I remember the Billion Dollar Babies Tour, which is in um, the CD. Yeah. Um, but what happened was, again, <clears throat> all these things were going on. Mm -hmm. We had 
the guillotine, we had the uh, hanging, we had the electric chair. I don't remember what else. <laughs> and I know at one point um, we had somebody dressed up as Santa Claus and Dallas <laughs> would beat, <laughs> beat the hell out of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was crazy stuff. But it was a deluxe tour. We had um, Bobby Sherman's airplane, the Starship, mm -hmm. to travel in. It was a, one of the earliest custom-built planes and it had a waterbed in the back and uh you got on there was shrimp there was I, it, it was it was um, a super tour and a super airplane and mm -hmm. of course every location was catered to the max um i remember we were in norfolk and a lady was part of the crew and she was hawaiian i don't know if she's still alive or passed on but her big thing was and it was crazy she we had budweiser long necks and she would pop the tops with her teeth <laughs> that's that's how nuts okay it's not a good way to keep your teeth that's what we thought, but <laughs> she did it, and we accepted the open long necks. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so it's crazy, and it's a huge tour, gigantic, billion-dollar babies. Mm -hmm. The whole thing ends, and everything is getting settled up. Mm -hmm. What the band didn't understand at that point was, yeah, they had Bobby Sherman's Starship. Yeah, they had shrimp. Yeah, they, in fact, in Norfolk, in addition to the girl that would pop bottles, we had, I remember this, we brought in a, a pig with an apple in its mouth. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I still remember it, you know, and then somebody carved it up and mm -hmm. everybody ate. I've been to that before. Okay. Um, what what they didn't realize is they're paying for this. Oh yeah. It, yeah. It's well they didn't you know, they didn't think about it and all of a sudden we have time to do the settlement. Mm -hmm. And of course you have management fees and terrific manager, he's still with Chef Gordon, mm -hmm. one of the best if not the best, uh, and he's still with Alice today. Mm. But you have management fees, you have agency fees. You mm -hmm. had uh, Johnny Podell uh, with uh, ABC Management. Mm -hmm. You had um, Nick Karras with DMA. I, I don't know who was doing what. But still, <clears throat> when you get the gross dollar after everything, these people get paid and right. they get paid off the top. Okay. All was done. And then the final money comes to Alice Cooper, which is five guys. Each guy got around $800,000. Wow. Which wasn't bad, but 
this is, again, the story I understand. Alice picked up his check and said, hey, wait a minute. I'm almost getting killed every night. And everything ends with me getting a fifth of what we net. And sorry to say, but at that point, he broke up the band. Mm, sure, yeah. And, and the interesting thing, continuing on, he broke up the band and under, actually Seals and Crofts, who I worked for years, mm-hmm. done this a long time ago. The idea was they're the headliners. They go out, get the best studio people they can find to do the tour and pay them a weekly salary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they get to keep the rest. Um, and that's what Alice did. Broke up the band, hired studio guys. I guess they're studio. Yeah, I know and what you mean. Right. It, and then Welcome to My Nightmare was the album. Now, Welcome to My Nightmare was the first Alice Cooper solo album. And he had studio musicians and so the bulk of the money he kept and you've got a guy Joe Gannon and if you don't know Joe he is a set designer probably one of the best he taught me he was out with Liza Minnelli in Liza with a Z and he was that's what he did and he taught me uh breasting and uh how to do uh hanging points and this I had never seen this before and uh Joe had done it with uh Liza he had done it with Neil Diamond on August night, if you ever get a copy of that album, you'll see special thanks to Joe Gannon. Oh, sure. Now, Joe, Joe Gannon designed Welcome to My Nightmare. And if you've seen it, the very beginning starts with a projector on a screen in a graveyard. And you hear the music and this, and then all of a sudden, Alice Cooper breaks through this curtain, which (laughs) actually is not a solid curtain. It's strips. Sure, yeah. And he pops out, and that's how Welcome to My Nightmare starts. Mm -hmm. Now, the other interesting thing about that is at a given point, he does the song Only Women Bleed. Mm-hmm. Now, going into Only Women Bleed, I'm, I'm giving all this stuff for Alice Cooper fans, believe me. But going into that song, he, he has an up-tempo song and a doll that he's beating the hell out of. And the as the song ends 
he throws the doll on this four-poster bed that's on stage. It's a stage prop. Then the lights go down. Blue lights on come up. And he starts Only Women Bleed. When he starts that song, all of a sudden, this woman sits up in bed and starts to dance. In other words, they had exchanged the doll for a human. Mm. The, the human is Cheryl. And that's who Alice ultimately married. Oh. And he met her, uh, you know, there's a lot more, but he actually met her on the uh, Welcome to My Nightmare tour. Is that right? When she did Only Women Bleed. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that sort of takes you around. In other words, the Alice Cooper band, as most people know, started as a glam band in uh, Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They they couldn't get signed until Frank Zappa came along and liked what they were doing. Sure, yeah. And, and signed them. And they still didn't break through until um, the uh, album... Uh, what was it with uh, I'm 18 right, uh, right, right. love it to death mm-hmm. and actually trivia for love it to death the record company released the album and it was the five guys in a black and white type of thing and there's a tape wrapped around the band and Alice. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand their, I guess, their humor. But Alice takes his thumb and sticks it through this photo. So on the first Love It to Death release, it looks like Alice's penis is coming through. <laughs> I can't say it any other way. Coming through the uh, cape. Right, right. And I, I've got a copy of that. I'll mail it mm-hmm. over to you when you put this up on uh, sure. your uh, site. You can. You'll have a copy of this <laughs> album. I. I've since with um, the we sold it on eBay, the original. Oh, sure, but I've yeah. got a photo of it, and you don't even have to look real close. It's pretty <laughs> obvious. And Warner Brothers went nuts mm. and recalled and reissued. Mm. So if you go into a store and buy Love It to Death vinyl, you won't see that I, I don't know if I think what they did is took a black pen and blacked it out. Mm, could be. But you but I've got the original and you'll have the original for your uh, listeners hmm. when uh, you post this. Wonderful, wonderful. Um 
Did you have, I, you had mentioned to me, and, I, and, and in listening to all of your stories before, um, there were, I guess, certain parts of the country that you worked as a tour manager. Um, like you had mentioned me with Seals and Croft. You know, you had worked with them pretty much in the East, but when they got out to California and Vegas, somebody else may have taken over with the management company you were working for or something, too. Um, what areas did you go on the road with Alice in? Was it mostly just the East, or did you go all over the country with them? That, uh, I always say to you, Mike, those are great questions. That one leads me in to a great story. Um, first off, yes, we did, um, Barry and I pretty much, we did Baltimore. Mm -hmm. The reason we only did Baltimore is the story. Here's the story. Um, obviously Barry Richards and I broke Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. No question about it. He's got a gold record to prove it. You know, we've got shows. All right. And I told you about Chef Gordon, who was his, his manager. Yeah. Terrific. He's still his manager today. He lives in Hawaii. And uh, great person. In fact, uh, I think it Mike Douglas um, had something to say. And I think he might have wrote the forward. I don't know. But he always called him a mensch, which um, in Yiddish is a gentleman. Sure. Uh, he was. Okay. So we broke the band and we were doing, you know, the dates in Washington, Alexander Roller Rink. Now, Chef is getting ready to do a tour with Alice because he's, he's broken. He's mainstream major. He calls Barry and I and says, you guys have been great. You guys broke Alice. And I want to know, and I'll give it to you. I'm dividing up the country. I'll give you the East Coast. You can have it. And what I always tell people, Barry and I, did not know the words backers. We, because every show we did, we funded ourselves. Okay. And so here comes along Chef. He's offering us the East Coast. Well, not knowing backers, we knew we couldn't do the East Coast because we didn't have the money mm -hmm. to uh, put up for deposits for advertising, you know, all the things that would go into a tour. So if we had known backers and we had Alice's commitment, we should have gone out to any money person and said, hey, we've got these 15, 30 dates on Alice Cooper. They're winners. And if you'll fund us, you know, we'll split up the uh, proceeds between us. But Barry and I did not know that. So we lost a golden opportunity. Chef made sure we kept Washington and Baltimore. Mm -hmm. and, but 
had we known the word backer, we would probably be a different operation uh, today. Okay. And so we didn't, but what happened was the one of the top promoters was Richard G. Klotzman out of Baltimore. And he wound up with Alice Cooper. He had backers, God bless him. And he wound up with the country for Alice Cooper. Now, this leads into answer your question. He hired me to do a tour coordinator for his company. And one of the acts, obviously, was Seals and Crofts. Another was Uriah Heep and Alice Cooper. So I did a lot of East Coast dates on Alice Cooper, but I worked for the promoter, which was Richard G. Klotzman. Oh, okay. So, so yes, I did dates but I didn't promote them um, on the East Coast. Um, but I was out there, um, as you'll hear on the CD, Utica, Cali, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think Richmond, uh, Utica, uh, a lot of dates on Alice. And, and, and I flew in the, in the um, Starship. Uh, definitely, I was out there with uh, with the band, and then uh, right after <clears throat> "Welcome to My Nightmare," uh, shortly after that, uh, I got off the road. It was like '76. Mm -hmm. I went to work for the uh, Baltimore Civic Center. Sure, sure, sure. Um, during this time as well, uh, I know that. You know, Alice Cooper had gone through some rough times early in his career with, uh, you know, drinking and alcohol and perhaps drugs, and then he got clean. And he also became more religious as well. Um, when you were doing these tours, um, what was it like going, because, you know, any rock and roll person, you know, has, I guess, the connotation or the assumption that a lot of people, and especially in those days, that they were all on drugs, that they were bringing drugs with them, that they were up to no good. Um, you had mentioned a little bit of a story, which I'm not going to give away in the CD, of some, you know, of, of a kind of a shakedown that happened in uh, upstate New York with them. But um, what was it like? You know, I guess kind of being out there with them. Um, you know, I, you know, from him, I guess at, at that time was he sober and had he gone through that part where uh, no he did he didn't go alice didn't really you know go through all of that whatever after i left the tour okay uh, i left in 76 mm -hmm. uh, but i can tell you this um uh, in dealing with alice um uh, we had beer requirements, we had liquor requirements, mm -hmm. and, and you'll hear on the CD, I don't need to go into it, um, there's a lot of that mm -hmm. for the listener to understand, even though it's Utica, New York, it was basically 
uh, we were, it was all over at that particular point. Mm -hmm. But as far as shows, Barry, the band was extremely professional. Okay. I mean, yeah, we, we, but as you'll hear, and I like to say, I'm not going to give anything away, (laughs) but if when, when the listener listens to the CD, you'll totally understand what the beer liquor requirements were, Mm -hmm. what was going on. And, uh, it, it, it could get certainly crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, as you just said, that was part of the rock and roll experience at yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but I can say unequivocally, because I was with the band and then I was with Alice. And of course, I was with Shep. And later on, um, Toby Mamis took over as um, road manager, manager. We're still friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, Toby and I go back to 1973 Mm -hmm. when he was with Susie Quattro. Oh, sure. Before he took over for Alice. Mm -hmm. And very, I'd like to think we're still very close today. Shep, um, Although I haven't seen him, I've talked to him and uh, I've emailed back and forth when especially he lives in Hawaii mm-hmm. when uh, the, you know, weather got crazy in Hawaii. Um, I emailed him to make sure he was okay, which he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other interesting footnote too, back going back to the beginning, the Alexander Rock Theater mm-hmm. um, with Alice. At that point, there were two managers. One was Shep Gordon, and his partner was Leo Finn. And Leo Finn is the father of Cheryl Finn, who was on the uh, TV show Twin Peaks. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, Is that and, right? And the other thing was, uh, he, we used to call him the milkman mm-hmm. because he always dressed in all white. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him one night well, this is early on. We did the Alexander Rock Theater. And Leo insisted, you know, it was only a 2,000 seat place. He insisted on checking the drop count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could still see him sitting cross legged in the lobby <laughs> of the theater and counting each torn ticket. To oh, make boy. sure we were we weren't cheating him, mm-hmm. which we weren't. Right. But um uh it was it was those rock and roll fun days. That was sixty-nine. Mm-hmm. And um you know the interesting thing, I guess, uh and your listeners can take it for whatever, but nineteen sixty-nine to 2021 
how many years, what, uh, 50-some years, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 52, yeah. We're all all still friends. That's great. That's great. In fact, my wife passed away in 2017, December, Mm -hmm. and March 2018, Alice was doing the Lyric Theater. And we had always had, with especially when Debbie was alive, we had always had tickets, mm-hmm. and we went. We were back, you know, the whole thing. Anyway, I took Rianne into the show. We had backstage passes, and after the show, we went backstage for meet and greet to get our pictures, and Alice took a couple of minutes <laughs> with um, Rihanna just to tell her, you know, how sorry he was and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, and Toby didn't go out on that tour, but he made sure that we had super seats mm-hmm. uh, for the, uh, there's a friend of mine, uh, Mark, Mark Allen, uh, who always goes to these shows with me. So I had four backstage tickets. And uh, that's, I mean, all everything for all these years, I think it's a pretty major. We're all still friends. Yeah, yeah, wow. And and it's great. That's great, that's great. Yeah, I, um, you know, you had mentioned your wife. It's a shame I never got an opportunity to meet her because she sounds like she was just a wonderful lady, you know, right there with you, putting these projects together and everything. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, definitely my condolences on that. But um, Oh, thank you. you. Know. And you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, she was a music person when I met her. And everything. I mean, I didn't. I was, uh, people ask me and I always say, I run, I run the, play the cash register. That's it. Yeah. If, if, if they could sell, fine. And she was into Little Feet. She was into, uh, oh my God, uh, obviously Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, there's a few other bands I should think of. But yeah, she bands that I used to just, you know, the only thing I said to them, I made sure they had a deli tray and rolled up and said, 10 minutes, I need you on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. And Debbie knew history, who mm-hmm. was what. It was, uh, yeah, she was uh, a great rock and roll person. Absolutely. That's and a what great person. Like. Yeah. We, you know, we had, uh, we're married uh, 38, almost 39 years. Wow, wow, wow. Well, Bud, thank you so much again for coming and sharing your stories of Alice Cooper. Folks, we're going to roll the CD in just a couple of seconds here. So, um, again, Bud, I mean, your stories are just amazing, and I really appreciate you sharing these. I've gotten so much wonderful feedback, I just want you to know. Uh, oh. From our listeners, you know, people um, you know, can't wait for the next Bud Becker episode. And well, we've got plenty coming for you, folks. Um, yeah, we got, we got a bunch more. But this one, I'm so glad you're doing this because it, it's really unique 
that I've got all the story background, and mm-hmm. then you're going to play the CD, yeah, which will, although it's one date, it will encapsulate a lot of questions that uh, mm-hmm. people may have. And I'm going to, if I may, finish one thing. People always ask me about Alice because of the snake and everything else. And they say, well, you know, what is he like? And and I remember that's what my classic answer is. If you invited Kurt Douglas to dinner, would you expect he would come in a suit or chains? (laughs) Well, you know, I had had um, David Snowden as a guest who had worked in promotions and had worked with Alice Cooper. And he had actually had uh, Alice Cooper and his band at his house, um, at his mother's house for dinner. And oh, they, hey. they came into the house, and it was uh, it was an experience. You know, they were. Uh, it, it you can hear the story in David's episode, but you know he was you know his mother was afraid that he was getting involved in promoting rock and roll, and he was kind of on the merchandise end, doing a lot of things with that, and um, he. To prove that you know the, they weren't bad people and that they weren't all nuts and everything, he invited Alice Cooper and his band to his mother's house for dinner, and they just had a wonderful time and they really changed her impression. The impression, you know, that you know these oh. rock and roll people are all nuts and crazy and everything. That they were just regular guys. So, oh you know. yeah, they they were uh, terrific. I mean, I was there. I'd like to think probably from the beginning mm-hmm. and uh and in fact i booked a couple of alice cooper people when they went on other projects and hammerjacks mm-hmm. so i'll have to look it up for you next time but uh i know the guys some of them went on to different projects now um michael bruce wrote a lot of the music. So he's mm-hmm. probably still collecting uh, a check. Yeah, yeah. So that that's it. But it, yeah, rock and roll, a great time. Absolutely. Well, Bud, I think uh, what we need to do, since the masks are now off and we've all got our shots, I think the next time we get together on one of these, we got to do it in person instead of this Zoom business. What do you think? Hey, uh, it's fine as long as my hair is dyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. You can see I got a little snow on the roof as well hey, coming man, in here, man. You know, <laughs> my grand my granddaughter does mine. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I gotta say it, she's she's got excellent taste in uh, coloring and everything. There, you're looking great, yeah, pal. Well, that's it. I mean, uh, it's, it's it's dark. And uh, it takes 20 years off, and I need every uh, year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Bud. Folks, stick around, and you can hear Bud Becker's Stories from the Road, Alice Cooper, coming right up. St. Luna and I were in the office going over some files and photos, trying to decide on a package to put up for Alice Cooper. With the upcoming holiday season, St. Luna was looking at the Christmas 1973 Billion Dollar Babies Tour, which uh, I had with the band in Utica, New York. As I looked over the file, I started to remember this date and all the craziness that went with this show. As I talked, it became apparent that there was a Memories of the Road here. 
With that in mind, I am putting together this CD with a copy of some of the file parts that will flesh out the CD and hopefully make it come alive for the listener. For those of you hardcore Alice Cooper fans, you will get the pun with alive. Anyway, let's go back to December 1973. If you look up the Billion Dollar Babies tour schedule, you will see that on December 27th, the show was in Montreal at the Forum. With a day off for everyone to get into the December 29th date, which I was producing for the promoter in Utica, New York. This required clearing customs at the Oneida Airport in Oriskany, New York. You will notice on the copy of the guest list notes that St. Luna has included in this package, there are six tickets for Joseph A. Scarlice, which is noted as customs. Every little bit helps. Anyway, as the tour coordinator for the promoter, I arrived a day early to make sure the band was pre-registered and checked the rooms to make sure everything was in order. The hotel was the Holiday Inn on Genesee Street in downtown Utica. I grew up in Oneonta, New York, which was 60 miles from Utica, so I was very familiar with the city and also had reservations about having Alice Cooper and the band in the middle of downtown Utica. For those of you who are not familiar with Utica, New York, it was known in the 50s into the 1970s as Sin City. Not in a good way, like Las Vegas, but the upstate New York City controlled and run by the Mafia. The Barge Canal Gang was based there. Google it and you will understand everything. This will be important as the story goes on. Anyway, as you can see from the VIP travel agency voucher, I arrived at the hotel after 10 p.m. on December 27th. As I said, I was not excited about putting everyone in Midtown, and when I realized that this was more of a motel with the rooms all having doors to a walkway which was outside. Keep in mind, this is December 27th in upstate New York, where it usually drops to freezing in October and stays there until March. My first thought was the band going between rooms without dressing properly and catching colds or worse. If you look at the tour dates, you will see Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies Tour was scheduled for New Year's Eve in Buffalo, New York. I checked in, and remember, I am the tour coordinator responsible for booking and keeping happy 24 single-room occupants, two doubles, and a couple of extra rooms for whatever. Keep that in mind. Not an ego trip, but usually... When I check in, I have a hotel manager or personal assistant there to greet me and check on my needs. I did not expect this at 11 p.m. on a midweek night. However, what I experienced next told me this was not the place for the Alice Cooper Band and the 24-plus rooms I was responsible for. I was given my room key, and after I opened the door, set down my bags, Checked the heat, then I was ready to view the city of Utica from my room. I drew back the curtains, and what do you think greeted me? The sight of a brick wall. I thought, this is what they think of the person who is responsible for helping fill their hotel a couple of days before New Year's Eve? 
not the hottest date of the year for a hotel, especially in downtown Utica. Looking over the situation, I decided there might be something better for everyone concerned. I started early in the morning contacting my vendors in Utica to see if there was another hotel that the travel agency had missed. After talking to the limo company's contact, Patricia Kerr, she told me about a brand new Ramada Inn located in New Hartford, just outside Utica. Since I had plenty of vehicles, the short distance to the hall was no problem. I took a drive out to the hotel, and it was exactly what Patricia had described, a brand new, mostly empty hotel. I found the manager, Ron Weekel, and we discussed my needs. He was more than happy to accommodate and assured me I would not be looking at bricks. I wanted to stop right here and speak to the listener. You are probably saying, I have been listening to this CD for over five minutes. And while interesting, what does it have to do with Alice Cooper, the band, and where is the rock and roll story? Please stay with me. This will all come clear in a little while. It just requires time to set up. Okay, now back to the story. I knew from my past bookings of hotels that the new Ramadas were built with an executive suite right above the registration desk. This room had a wet bar, king-size bed, and ran the length of the building like a small efficiency. This room was not available for guests, but was held for Ramada executives when they visited the hotels. I had my heart set on this room for Alice. And with a little negotiating, I got it for Alice Cooper. St. Luna included the Ramada information sheet with the rates for the rooms. Check it out. Now I went back and canceled out the Holiday Inn with the excuse that the exterior rooms were not acceptable to the band. They were not happy, but maybe next time they get the person responsible for booking the rooms, they will find a better view than the room facing bricks. I want to take a minute to go over the items that St. Luna has put into the package, which the hardcore Alice Cooper fans will probably already know about. And if I say anything that is not 100% accurate, St. Luna will hear about it and then I will get the lecture. So I will do the best I can to remember what happened almost 35 years ago. There is a comp ticket list which gives you an idea of the people who were helping us. Dave Liebert, who got 30 tickets, was the Alice Cooper road manager, which explains the 30 tickets. The travel needs were transmitted by Western Union Mailgram. No fax, no email in 1973. The production requirements are an assortment of documents. The diagram, two is the barricade and house was Joe Gannon special. I worked with Joe Gannon starting with Liza with a Z tour where Joe actually taught me rigging. Joe Gannon was a stage designer who brought a whole new aspect to live concert presentations. This is the layout for the billion dollar baby stage with the trace lights that outline the front of the stage. You can see on the diagram front electric pipe which will fly 20 feet above the stage front. The ZZ Top food and beverage order is interesting because once they became headliners, the food and beverage requirement 
covered almost a page. The Texas influence you can see with the request for avocado dip. The East Coast folks did not know from avocados back in 1973. The room list shows where everyone was, including Norm Klein, the bodyguard for Alice. In 1973, the chief of police was Benjamin Rotundu, and in November of 1973, Ed Hanna had just been elected mayor. I had heard about the police chief from some of my Grateful Dead friends, according to Gene Godchalk, who did my t-shirts and the Grateful Dead t-shirts. There is a check request for Gene in this package, who did four dozen t-shirts for this tour. Anyway, Gene told me about the Grateful Dead playing Utica on March 22nd of 1973, and the police hassling everyone and arresting people for smoking dope. So I was aware of this. However, I was not prepared for what the chief had in store for my Alice Cooper date. At around 6.15, I got a message from backstage to come back. There was a problem. I got there and was greeted with uniformed police and a German Shepherd dope-sniffing dog. They were demanding to go backstage. Now, this was a drinking tour, not a dope-smoking tour. If anyone was doing it, it was not evident to me at the time. Anyway, I initially refused and threatened to pull the show rather than go through this. A usual first volley in these type situations. I got the hall manager backstage and demanded to know what was going on. He said it was out of his hands. I said, who is controlling the chief of police? He told me the mayor. I told him to get the new mayor, Ed Hanna, on the phone. I got him on the telephone and proceeded to go at him. Finally, when the mayor could get a word in edgewise, he apologized and said there was nothing he could do. I said, but you're his boss. He agreed, but said nothing he could do. Then it came to me. We were in the chief's town, and it could get really ugly before we could get out. And a quick conference with my road crew, I was assured there was nothing unless they planted it. So... I said, go ahead, and assigned some of my roadies to accompany the police to try and avoid the planting problem. Anyway, the cops were really feeling like they had won and started going through everything, including a big carpet bag, not knowing that was the home of Alice's boa, Eva Marie, named for the actress Eva Marie Saint. Eva awoke where she was resting before the show, the dog jumped back, as did the officer handler. We just stood by and did our best to look neutral. Anyway, Eva caused the backstage search to be cut short. However, that night, the officers and the dog was at the turnstile watching and sniffing everyone who came in. It was a very scary place, especially realizing that the chief was not only the law, but the only law. Fortunately, the hotel was in New Hartford, out of his jurisdiction. So once the show was over and got packed out, we could all breathe a little easier. This was a Saturday night, and everyone, except for the truck drivers, had Sunday off. The trucks were heading on into Buffalo for the New Year's Eve show. With that said, everyone, except for Alice Cooper, headed into the Ramada Inn bar 
for a celebration that we had made it out of Sin City intact. I remember the party in the bar as seriously wild, with many of the concert goers finding out where the band was staying and following out. The last thing I remember about the night was trading shots with the tour manager and going to bed around 1.30 a.m. The next thing that happened to me was a telephone call from the manager, Ron, asking if I could join him in the dining room for coffee and a bit of breakfast. For some reason, this did not sound from the tone of his voice that it was going to be good. Anyway, we had coffee, and then he mentioned he needed to show me something. Here we go. Remember, this is a brand new hotel, maybe three to four months old, and as you can see from the information sheet, all of the newest accommodations. Ron led me to the back stairs, which were partially blocked by a Coke machine lying on the stairway. My first thought, this is not going to be good. Next, we approached the second floor where the entire band and road crew had been registered. The entire hallway looked like a serious food fight had taken place all the way down the hall on the walls and floor. Think Animal House turned up 100%. Now we get to the grand finale. The room, one of the doubles for the roadies, destroyed. When I say destroyed, I mean destroyed. The only thing in the room left untouched for some reason was the color television. The rest, beds torn apart, headboards ripped off the wall, mirrors off the wall, dressers in total disarray. The other thing that made it so visual was that one side wall was stacked floor to ceiling with cases of Budweiser beer. The band, as you will see on the paperwork, drank Budweiser beer. And for whatever reason, in 1973, they did not have Budweiser beer in Canada. So within one of the trucks was plenty of Budweiser beer. And when we got to Utica, the roadies unloaded it and put it in their room. After seeing this, Ron called for a complete room inspection. So I was walking with Ron along the hall, knocking on doors, waking up band members, roadies, managers, tour coordinators, everyone and anyone. Lots of covering up as we inspected the rooms. Now, the destruction of the roadies' room was not the roadies, but rather it was one of the band members. For the sake of not embarrassing anyone living or dead, I will not give the name of the offending band member, but I would like to give a description of this band member's room. Remember, this is Sunday morning around 11.30 a.m., and when Ron and I opened this member's room, there he was, perfectly dressed in a yellow plaid suit, sitting at the room table with a Bible open on the table and the room perfectly clean. I remember Ron looking in and saying, I wish this was the way all the rooms looked. As Ron moved down the hall, this band member grabbed me and said, but... Just find out how much it is, and I will pay. He had wound up partying in the roadies' room, and things just got out of hand. We stopped by Alice Cooper's suite, and he had set up a putting green with an automatic return, and Alice was putting golf balls. 
The total damage was over $3,000, including the cost of shutting down the room for three months to repair the damage. That is the story, and to this day, I can still see the Alice Cooper band member sitting at that table with his Bible open. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our interviews with our guests, all with the intention of promoting the performing arts and preserving their history by sharing the wonderful stories of those who participated. You can now support Foul Players Radio on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash foulplayersradio. Also, make sure you go to whatever platform on which you listen to Foul Players Radio and leave us a review and hopefully a five-star rating. Thanks again. And see you next time.